0: You know, as I said, we, we've been involved, my family has been involved for 14 years now with Peterson's, and um, I know most of you have probably met my son, Chris. He's wandering around here somewhere today. There he is, <laughs> hiding in the back. So, but we, have, we have made a lot of relationships through the years. There's just, like I said, there's familiar faces. Um, I'm terrible with names. Somebody asked me if I remembered their name earlier, and somebody else said, you does not even remember his own name half the time, which is probably true. I, I don't remember names well, but there's so many faces. And, and, and with social media, we're able to stay connected with so many. I made a post on the way up here on, on social media, I, I am a social butterfly, and um, yeah, I know some of you are going, yeah. But, <laughs> but he, uh, I made a post on the way up here uh, simply about that, you know, about the fact that over these years, we have made so many acquaintances, so many friendships, and they become lifelong friendships. You know, once you've been to a Peterson Outdoor event, it, it's kind of like marrying into a family. It don't really matter whether you like them or not. You're stuck with them, <laughs> right? I mean, that's where we are in this. You know, I mean, it's a family event, and and so we really do have a lot of fun with that. And and yes, I have been right here in this position before when all eyes went out there, going, "Oh wow!" And I and I didn't even look, like big deer out there, right? Mm-hmm. Big buck running across there. So if something happens behind me, just go ahead and look. It'll be okay. I won't call you out for it. But I want to share with you today a message. And, and again, I like to tell stories. And, and I want to share some stories with you today. I actually heard a message by, by a man named Ron Luce. Ron's the founder of Acquire the Fire, if any of you are familiar with that. Um, Acquire the Fire was a, basically a youth convention that would travel across the country in different places. And he was talking about the night he got a phone call that no parent wants to get. And that call was, Mr. Luce, I have your daughter here with me, and she's okay. Mr. Luce, I have your daughter here with me, and she's okay. You know your heart would sink at that moment because you would have to know what happened. His daughter had been on a plane with four other Acquire the Fire leaders going to set up an event. Their plane crashed in Kansas. Ron's daughter was the only survivor. Can you imagine the story that comes from that? He was actually speaking on a subject of being easy to be a Christian when things are going well. What about when things are going tough? I mean, I think most of us have probably thought something along these lines. It seems that for us today, it's easy to cry out to God when, when we're in a struggle, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a constant, God, man, I'm, I'm in trouble. But, you know, my finances, you know, my, my relationship, my whatever's going on, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I hit a deer with my car. And I've got to call Al, the body shop. You know, there's always, it's easy to cry out to God when we're having problems, when we're struggling through something. But sometimes we wander off when life is good. Well, we're not quite as closely attached when life seems to be okay. In the midst of some of our struggles, we spend a lot of time seeking God's hand, His handout, if you will. And, and maybe some of you have been where I've been. Life issues have overtaken you, and it would appear that God's nowhere to be found. Another story I share with you. 13-year-old young man. His dad was a union pipe fitter and plumber. They were living in Colorado. His dad was working out of town, about 150 miles away from home. It just so happened, he, he would come home on the weekends, but he'd be gone through the week. It just so happened that there was some break in the school. So this young boy was able to go with his dad. And so he gets on a bus and they ride this bus up to where his dad was working. His dad picks him up at the bus stop. That was on a Wednesday night. Thursday, it was snowing in Colorado. Imagine that. Anybody lived in Colorado? Does snow really matter? No. Yeah. You, you know what happened to me when I moved to Colorado? And, and, and it snowed? And I was all excited? Because, you know, I'm from Oklahoma. I mean, when it snows, we're out of school, right? I never missed a day of school in Colorado. It didn't matter that it was snowing. So here it is. It's Thursday morning. And, his, and this young boy's dad goes to work. About 10 o'clock, his dad comes home because they'd sent everybody home from the plant because it was snowing. You know, for a 13-year-old kid, like, sweet, we can spend the day together. I didn't, you know, no one puts this together, right? So this young boy and his dad spend the entire afternoon together. They hang out, they do their things. They go to the favorite little taco shop for, for dinner. It's there, It was not Craig, Colorado, if you had to know where Craig's at. And here they are in this little taco shop and they have dinner. Right next door was an armory, like a youth center that they'd put together, pool tables, basketball, games. So this young man and his dad go spend the evening in that youth center. Been there maybe an hour or so. And the young man's dad wound up on the floor. Two boys doing CPR. Ambulance was called. Now keep in mind, this young man is 13. He's 150 miles away from home. His dad lives with an elderly gentleman. He rents a room from him. So not like you just know everybody. So the ambulance comes, picks up his dad, takes him to the hospital. The lady next door from the taco shop, she comes over because her children were there as well to see what was going on while the ambulance was there realizes what's happening, shuts down her restaurant, takes the young boy to the hospital where the doctors tell the young man he didn't make it. Through an entire long night of events, it wound up being that lady's children who had done the CPR on the man. Pastors from the local town come and pick up the young boy and his dad's stuff and take him home. That next morning... I walked through the door to see my mom's face. I was that young man, 13 years old. Now I can tell you that when things happen in such fashion, you really kind of wonder where God's at. You know, I've been raised in church. My dad was a deacon, my mom's church secretary. I tell people all the time I had a drug problem going to Growing up because I got drugged to church every time the doors were open. So I had a knowledge of who this God was. But yet here I am saying, where were you? You know, I asked for you to take care of my dad. Where were you? Very difficult time in my life. Ron goes on to tell another story. He tells the story of Horatio Gates Spafford and his wife Elizabeth. Elizabeth. The Spaffords were well-known 1860s Chicagoans. He was a prominent lawyer, a senior partner of a large and thriving law firm. He and his wife were also prominent supporters and close friends of evangelist Dwight L. Moody. A series of family tragedies in 1870 when their only son died from scarlet fever at the age of four. Spafford invested in real estate north of expanding Chicago in the spring of 1871 when the great Chicago fire reduced everything to ashes. It also destroyed most of Spafford's sizable investments. Two years later in 1873, Spafford decided that him and his family needed to take a holiday somewhere, possibly in Europe. So they chose England, knowing that his friend D.L. Moody would be preaching there in the fall, but he began to be delayed because of business, so he sent his family ahead, his wife and their four children. November 15th of 1873, the, the Ville de Alvray, was an iron ship, sailed from New York with 313 passengers and crew on board under the command of Captain Reno-Sermont. After a week's steaming across the Atlantic Ocean, she collided with an iron clipper called the Lock Urn at about 2 a.m. in the morning, Saturday, November 22nd. At the time of the collision, the ship was proceeding under both steam and sail at about 12 knots. The captain of the Lockern, at first sighting of the Ville d'Alvere, and realizing that she was dangerously close, rang his ship's bell and ported to his helm. The helm of the Lockern was put to starboard, but the Ville d'Alvere came right across the Lockern's bow. The ships were violently shaken. The collision was with noise that woke all the passengers. Confused, most passengers went on deck, only to discover that the ship was rapidly sinking. The captain assured them that all was fine, but in reality, the cruiser had been nearly broken in two, and it didn't take long for the passengers to realize that the situation was desperate. Commotion and chaos overtook panicked passengers. They started grabbing life preservers and trying to push lifeboats into the water. Unfortunately, these had just been recently painted, and they were stuck fast to the deck. Finally, a few of them were yanked loose, and the passengers fought desperately, to be the one of the few travelers to board those few rescue boats. Shortly afterwards, the main shafts and staff of the the ship collapsed, smashed two of the lifeboats, killing several people. The time for saving life was very short as the ship sank in less than 12 minutes. The captain of the locker did all he possibly could to rescue the drowning and eventually, 61 passengers and 26 of the crew were rescued and taken on board. However, 226 passengers and crew perished. The locker in herself was very damaged and sinking, was subsequently rescued by a cargo ship. Although Horatio Spafford was not a passenger on the boat, his wife Anna and their four daughters were. And at the last moment that Horatio was detained by a real estate business, he had sent his wife and kids on ahead. After the collision, a fellow passenger, a survivor, Pastor Weiss, recalled Anna saying, God gave me four daughters, now they've been taken from me. Someday, I will understand why. Anna was picked up unconscious, floating on a plank by the crew of the locker. Nine days after the shipwreck, Anna landed in Cardiff, Wales, and she cabled her husband. The cable simply said, Saved alone, what shall I do? After receiving this telegram, Horatio immediately left Chicago to bring his wife home. On his crossing of the Atlantic, the captain called him to his cabin just as they were passing over the place where the Ville went down. He wrote about it. He wrote to his wife's sister. He said, on Thursday we passed over the spot where she went down in mid-ocean, waters three miles deep, but I do not think our dear ones were there. They are safe, folded in the arms of Jesus. Horatio later wrote the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Many of us remember that song. It commemorated his daughters. The original manuscript was only four verses. Some things have been added to it later. But those verses were this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, through trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. For me, be it in Christ, be it Christ hence to live, if Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine, for death is in life. Thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. And this last phrase said, And Lord, haste the day when faith shall be light. The clouds rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. I have to imagine that Horatio and his wife, Anna, were not much different than you and I. They were just humans, right? Doing their thing, living their life. I can only imagine how they likely questioned God as many of us have questioned with that one word, why? Anybody in here been in a position where something has happened in your life where you've said, why God? Why? I don't understand. As a 13 year old boy, I did that very well. Why God? I don't understand this. But look at the trust and the faith they expose in their lives at the things that they said. Even before he gets to his wife. No, can you imagine guys. Those of you who are married. Maybe been married a while. Can you imagine the feeling. Of knowing that your wife. Had just lost your daughters. And was now alone. Across an ocean. By herself. See I, I can kind of relate a little. I was by myself. That night. I was alone, had no idea what to do. Obviously, I was in some shock. But why God? I'm not a songwriter. (laughs) I certainly didn't feel all was well with my soul that night. But I can tell you this that I do know. My God never left me. My God never turned his back on me. It took years for me to come to a place, and I can tell you this, even today, I don't understand why my dad was taken from my life at that point. But I can tell you this, I know where I am today, and I can see the path back to that place. Had that not happened in my life, I don't know that I can tell you I would be here today. I have no idea. have no idea where my life would lead me had that not taken place in my life. You see, the things that we have to realize is that God's plan is bigger than ours. His, his ways are deeper than ours. We don't understand lots of things that we go through in life. I know that many of you in this room have seen things that a lot of us have not seen. You've experienced things that a lot of us will never experience. Thankfully so. But I will tell you this. Even though you might not understand What it is that you've seen. What it is that you've gone through. The feelings that you feel at times. But God hasn't left you. He's always with you. He didn't cause the hurt. He didn't cause the instance in your life. He didn't cause my father to die. He did allow it. Nope, I don't understand it. But I know this. God has allowed many things in my life. That have changed me. I have walked through many struggles and many battles. I have not overcome all of them yet. I still fight fights. I still fight battles. But I know who's on my side. I don't win them all. (laughs) There's a lot of times I get kicked in the teeth and I'm laying on the ground. But there's something real unique about those moments. I know in my heart that I have to continue. God told me something recently in the midst of a storm that I was in. It doesn't matter the outcome of this. I've given you a task you need to complete it. Anybody ever felt that way? You ever been given a task that you thought, man, I don't see the possibilities in this. We serve a God of the impossible. There will always be consequences for our actions, good or bad. There's always an outcome, whether it's good or whether it's bad. We must always walk through the trials that come with the path that we chose to walk on. But know that God doesn't cause trial in our life. He just simply allows it. We need to live as he lived, sharing our faith and trust with everyone we encounter in our life. Have you ever really thought of Jesus? I mean, we hear the stories, right? But have you ever really thought about that last day? What he was really going through? Because I know, through scripture, Jesus knew what his outcome was going to be. He, he knew where he was headed. Listen, crucifixion was one of the most brutal forms of, of torture and death known to mankind at the time. I'm not so sure it still wouldn't rank there. Because when you're crucified, you die by suffocation, if you weren't aware of that. Because of the position that they put you on that cross, you can intake air you simply can't inhale without pushing or pulling yourself up on those spikes to do so. How long can you do that? That's one of the reasons that we read where some who weren't dying fast enough, because maybe they were tougher than others... They would go by and break their legs so that they could no longer push or pull themselves up, so that they would suffocate and die. He knew it was coming. And, and in the Garden of Gethsemane, the way the scriptures, and, and I, didn't, I didn't look this up, it's not my notes, this is all free. So. But when they're in the, in the scriptures where he goes into the garden to pray that night that he's arrested, there's a, there's, a, there's a place in there that to me is one of the most beautiful things that I've ever read about Jesus. Because it puts him on the same personal level as me. You see, he went in there to pray that night, knowing what was coming, and he said, Father, if this cup could pass from me. In other words, he's saying, God, God if there's any other way we can do this. If, if there's any other possible way. But I loved how he ends this prayer. And, and it's something I think we as, as humans need to, to grasp hold of today. Because he ended that prayer with, but not my will, but yours be done. So this isn't about me. You, you're sitting here today and, and, and many of you have served our nation. Many of you have served our country. Many of you have sacrificed much. But even with all you've done, this life still isn't about you. God created us to be in a relationship with him. God created us to walk with him in fellowship. He created us as worship beings. You go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis and you see where where God and Adam walked together in the cool of the evening. Can you imagine that? Just hanging out with God. That's how he created us. Sin entered this world and it messed everything up. Now we fight for everything we have. But what are we fighting for? We're fighting for our freedom. We're fighting for our freedom to serve our creator the way he intended us to do from the very beginning. I'm going to ask you a simple question today. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now I, I know quite well Friday night's guest speaker. And I know quite well, without even being here, how that went. <laughs> I know quite well that Chuck challenged you to give your life to Jesus Christ. This weekend's not going to end any different because that challenge stands through all time. God is calling you out today. I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done, what you think you've done, or what anybody else thinks you've done. Jesus is calling you today. This is your time. You're not here by accident, whether you're a volunteer or a participant. God ordained this moment. He ordained this entire weekend. He's ordained every message that's come. The message that came from Chaplain Jeremiah last night. There's always a challenge to get your life right with Christ. It's that moment in the garden for you right now. What are you going to do with it? God, if this cup could but pass from me, but not not, your, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. If you want to come on up, brother. John fourteen six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It simply means without... a a personal relationship with Jesus Christ we have no hope in eternity the message is clear the stories say it all is it well with your soul today if you would as he plays I just want you to bow your heads with me for a moment God knows your heart he knows who you are He knows where you stand in relationship with him today. There's no question about what he has for us. What are you going to do today when when this event is over and you're headed back to your real world? What are you going to take with you? Are you going the way you came? I, I can tell you right now that most everyone within this organization praise that you'll be the most miserable person ever until you give your life to Jesus Christ. Because we know that's where our peace comes from. We know that's where our hope comes from. I don't care the challenge you may be in at the moment. God knows you. He's got you. He has a plan for you. Jeremiah chapter 1 says, "I, I knew you before I ever formed you in your mother's womb and I set you apart to be a voice to the nation. I called you for such a time as this. This is our moment. Oh, you might think, oh man, I can't do what you're doing. <laughs> Neither can I. Because what I'm doing here today comes straightly from him. This is, this is his business, not mine. He's simply given me the opportunity to be the voice for his word today. And he's calling you out. From the youngest to the oldest in this room today, he is calling you out. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? This is better than American Express. Don't leave here without it. He loves you. No matter what you feel in your heart, how how hurt you might be, his love can break through that chain. Can break through that bondage and set you free today in ways you've never dreamed. Jesus is our only hope. If you're not in a relationship with him today, I want to pray with you.